I would guess that it is safe to say that everyone in this room who considers themselves a believer would claim, would be convicted by the truth that Jesus is present here in the church. I mean, after all, we come together often to sing to him, to to talk to him, to try our best, to see him, to hear him, to experience him. And yet, as important as it is for us to have a deep conviction, a sense that Jesus is present in the church, it's really not a vision that's big enough because Jesus isn't just present in the church, he's also present in the world. He's present out there, engaging, loving, saving, reaching. We, we know that. We know that Jesus isn't just the head of the church, but he's also the king of the universe. And yet, at times, I think we forget it. We forget just how big the life of Jesus Christ really is. Jesus' life is as big as all of creation. With tornadoes and, and terrorists and floods and fires raging all the time in our world we can sometimes start to doubt Jesus' presence in every place, in every corner of our globe, in every moment of our lives. Because while it seems like Jesus obviously came to save this world 2,000 years ago, it also can sometimes feel like since then he's kind of left this world to run its own course. Left so many people, it seems, to their own devices. The Apostle Paul knows this temptation to see Christ in the church, but to fail to be able to see Christ alive and at work out there in the world. And so he writes a letter to Christians who are gathering together on the first day of the week to worship, who live in the ancient Roman city of Colossae. And he wants to impress on their hearts this truth that Jesus isn't just present in the church, but Jesus is present in every molecule of creation. Paul wants the people of God To realize that though everywhere they look, everywhere we look, every time we we turn to the news and we see images of presidents and kings and CEOs and celebrities and we're tempted to think that they're the ones who are really running things, Paul wants us to understand that as powerful as some of those people might be, Jesus is far more, more powerful than them all. And that Jesus is powerfully present, not just out there in the world around us or in the church around us, but that Jesus is powerfully present within us, within each one of us, deep in our souls. And this amazing ability that Jesus has to be present in our world and in our lives, Paul calls it the hope of glory. And he goes on throughout this letter time and again to say, That this hope of glory, this experience we have of the risen Lord, it allows us to understand the truth that we are caught up in Christ's life. That all of creation is caught up in Christ's life. And because we're committed to staying captured within that life, you and I, we have the ability to experience a hope-filled resurrection every single day, here and now. And it all begins... It all starts, Paul says, when we live lives that are worthy of the Lord. Open your Bible up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start reading together in verse 9. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. These are the words that the Apostle Paul writes. For this reason... 
Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Paul here is explaining a very specific answer to a very basic foundational question. And that is, what does living a life worthy of the Lord look like? And first Paul says, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work. It looks like a life where whatever you do, big or small, you intend for it to make a real difference for the good. You know, I think sometimes we live too much in our, in our heads, in our minds, and we, we think about doing good things, we plan to do good things, we intend to do good things, but then we fail to follow through to get up and actually do them. One of the, the people in my life who I have watched time and again push past just thinking about doing something good to actually doing it is Mike Watson. Mike happens to be one of our shepherds, one of our elders here at Southern Hills. And if you don't know him, you really need to take the time to get to know him. I promise you, if you ask him a question, he'll tell you a story. You'll get to know him quick. And and of all the things that I've seen Mike do in his life, I found this, this consistent practice of the moment he figures out something good that needs doing, He rearranges whatever else is going on in his life in that moment, and he does it. He has decades of experience in in accounting. And there's been more than once where someone in this church family finds themselves with their their financial life in complete disarray. And and they, they can't find where to even begin. And as soon as Mike hears about it, he goes to them, he spends untold hours with them trying to get things in order because all of us know how difficult it is when, when you can't make sense of, of your, your budget and you don't know if you have enough to pay your bills and you don't know how to save and all those things. Mike takes the time to walk those people through that journey and he does it gladly. Every time Mike hears about Somebody here in Abilene who has a doctor's appointment in Dallas and they don't have anyone else to take them. He will rearrange his schedule to free up an entire day to take them to Dallas to the place they need to go. He's not just wanting to drive them there safely. He wants to be there for them. He wants to be present for them. When he found out that that we had a, a couple of boys who wanted to go fishing with their dad, he immediately invited them out to his place so that they could have had this experience where they could create memories together as a family there on this little creek that runs through his property. And it's not just Mike, it's also Martha, his wife, who for years has volunteered in our children's ministry and years before that was our children's minister. She does anything that needs doing. She cares and she shows that she cares, not by what she thinks, but by how she serves. 
And I wish I had time to tell you all of the fruit, all of the good things that happen when people push past just thinking about doing good things to actually doing them. Friendships are formed. Relationships are deepened. Hope is renewed and restored. What does living a life worthy of the Lord look like? Well, Paul says it looks like bearing fruit in every good work. And then he says it looks like growing in the knowledge of God. You know, we, we know from experience that getting to know God is, is very similar to getting to know any other person in our lives. There's always more to know. There's always more to learn. There's always more to see and hear and experience in that relationship. But for some reason, I, th- I think sometimes we're really tempted to reduce God to a subject that we're studying more than, than a person that we're trying to get closer to. My dad, who happens to be here this morning, uh, has always modeled for me the difference between knowing a lot about God and knowing God relationally, personally, in a way that's transformative. And, and he's always modeled not just studying God's word so that he would know more good ideas, but studying God's word so that he would know more and more God's heart. And, and that's always made a deep impression on me because for me personally, for anyone that I actually have been able to spend life with, my dad has spent more time in the intellectual pursuit of God through scripture than anybody else I know. Untold hours of, of listening to sermons and lectures and reading books. Untold pages, numbers of pages of, of sermons that he's written and research projects. He's always finding something new to learn. And yet he's always been clear with me in our conversations about God. That the most important aspect of what it means to be shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. That doesn't come from a book. It comes from an encounter with the risen Lord and being open to that kind of encounter. And so I could tell you of, of all kinds of conversations we've had through the years of, of great, compelling new ideas that he's come across that he wants to share with me. But when I think about the conversations that have really deeply shaped my faith, it's not any of those conversations about ideas of God. It's when my dad has told stories of when he has encountered God and it's changed him. Times when... When he knew that he didn't know how to reach somebody. That he, that he didn't know how to get to, to their heart and help, help them see how much God loves them. And suddenly God would open up an opportunity for that to happen. He's, he shared times when, when his eyes were open to see that he'd been wrong and somebody else had been right. He's talked about this, this desire in his heart that he doesn't know where it comes from other than coming from God. Where he wants to try to start over with people who've hurt him. God is not some intellectual academic subject that my dad studies. God is his constant teacher and friend. What is it? What does living a life worthy of, of the Lord look like? Well, it's bearing fruit in every good work. It's growing in the knowledge of God. And then Paul says it's, it's being strengthened to have great patience and endurance. Patience and endurance. Those are words we know we all need to have in our lives. They're just words we never want to have to apply to our lives. Right? We, we all of us know there's a certain strength you need. 
that can only be developed when you're going through difficult experiences, but we would all, if we had a choice, we'd just like to avoid it and let somebody else be really good at patience and endurance. Most of us, if we're honest, run away from those kinds of experiences, but not all of us. I will never forget a woman named Judy who happened to go to the church, the the first congregation I preached at in the San Francisco Bay Area right after I graduated with my master's here at ACU. Judy was a a woman, a single lady in her mid-60s, and she called me up one afternoon and said, I'd really like to come by your office because I need to pray about a decision I'm going to make. She gets there, and, and we really hadn't talked much at all. She was a really quiet lady. She starts to tell me that she wants to do something and she's not sure she has the strength to do it. That she's heard about people that, that are needed to take care of infants who have nowhere else to go and it's just temporary. It's, it's emergency care. It's that there would be no, she'd get, just get a phone call out of the blue and she would be taking care of a baby. They told her it wouldn't ever be more than four to six weeks. And then as soon as they were able, social workers and and other people working with this baby were able to find it a a longer-term place to stay, she would hand that baby off to them. And she said, you know, I've always wanted children. I wanted to get married. None of those things happened for me. But I can do this. I just don't know if I can really do it. And I said, well, what do you mean you can do it, but you don't know if you can really do it? She said, well, I can get up in the middle of the night, and I can sing lullabies, and I can take care of those babies, but I don't know if I can let them go. I said, I understand. So we prayed together. She'd already been through the application process. She was just at that point where she had to make, make sure that this is what she was going to do. She called me the next morning, and she said, I'm, I'm going to go through with it. Several weeks passed, and... And she got her first baby, a beautiful baby boy. She had him for 13 days. And then he was gone. And about a week and a half later, she got another phone call and she got a little baby girl. And that gave Judy an idea. So she called me up on Friday and she said, look, I want to dedicate this baby to God. Do you think we could do that? I mean, I know, I know she's never even going to remember we said this prayer over her. But I just feel like even if I only have these babies for one Sunday, if we could just dedicate them to God while we have them, would that be okay? Yeah, that would be okay. I can't even tell you how many babies Judy brought to church that we dedicated to the Lord. But I know this much. God heard every one of those prayers, and I am convinced is actively working in the lives of those children who may never even know that Judy took care of them and brought them to church and asked a a faith community to surround those children and pray for a good future for them. The last time I was given an opportunity to speak with Judy, she said, yeah, I still feel like this is something that, that I need to be doing, but I'm getting old. And getting up at 2 and 3 in the morning, it's wearing me out. And there's times that I tell, I tell God, I don't know if I have the strength to keep going. And every time I say that, Jared, strength comes. Every time I think I'm about to give up, 
I keep going. What does living a life worthy of the Lord, what does it look like? Well, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with great patience and endurance. And finally, Paul says, it's, it's giving thanks with joy to the, to the Father. And that's, that's hard at times in our, our experiences when, when it's hard for us to, to push through and find a way to be content and satisfied when things are not going the way we, we hoped they would. Joy is one of those concepts, those ideas that we know, we know is different from fleeting moments of happiness and we know that it's more foundational than that, but at times it can be so difficult for us to find it, even when we're trying to find it. I met Melly Ann when I was a, a sophomore in high school. She and her grandmother started going to our church. The way I remember it, I, I think they'd always more or less believed in God, but they had discovered. Uh, because Millie was having lots of headaches and wasn't feeling well, that she had a brain tumor, and that it was serious, it was bad. And so it brought them to this place where they felt like they needed to make a real commitment to a faith uh, community, to a, a faith family. Uh, Millie, in particular, needed, felt like she needed to make a decision. And so the, the first time I really had any sort of interaction with her was when she decided to be baptized. And I remembered the... the the image because I didn't realize up until that point that she was wearing a wig. But when she got ready to be baptized, obviously she took that wig off. And all of us knew in that moment then that she was sick and that she was struggling. And I remember my dad standing in the water with her and gently laying her back and bringing her back up. And the smile that was on her face, uh, it, it just... It was like it was shining. And I think back to what she was going through and at the age she was going through it. And I, I don't fully understand how she was able to have those kinds of, of feelings and emotions. To have that kind of, of trust in God. And I remember in conversations with her, you know, it's difficult to know that somebody's struggling it's difficult to watch somebody fight for their life. And yet, every time I was around her, there was just this, this light. And I remember asking her, Millie, how, how, are you, how are you able to do this? How are you able to smile so much? How are you able to, to laugh so easily when people try to joke around with you and, and lift your spirits? How, how is it that you're in this place spiritually with what you're going through physically? And she said to me, I don't have any choice about what's happening to me. I, I don't know why I'm dying from this, this brain tumor, but I choose joy. I choose joy. What does living a life worthy of the Lord look like? The Apostle Paul says it. Let's say it together, right? Bearing fruit in every good work. I, I mean it. Let's say it together, okay? Growing in the knowledge of God. 
giving joyful thanks to the Father. Living a life worthy of the Lord looks a whole lot like Mike and Martha Watson and my dad and Judy and Millie Ann. And I don't want any of us to listen to those stories and decide that, that they're these shining examples that we can't quite live up to. Because living a life worthy of the Lord isn't something we do to prove our worth to God Living a life worthy of the Lord is choosing a life that's filled to overflowing with God's worth, right? The Apostle Paul, he's he's trying to make it clear to us that God isn't calling us to earn our way into being worthy. God's calling us to embrace the priceless worth he's already given us, right? He's inviting us. Paul does this all the time. He invites us to become who God says we are. I know this because of how carefully when you read Colossians 1, right, the opening and the verses that we focused on this morning, he he takes great pains to point out that in Christ, God has already qualified us. God has already rescued us. God has already brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom that belongs to the son that he loves. God has already given us the redemption we were made for. He's already given us the forgiveness we long for. Paul describes all of these amazing gifts from God as something that we already have. They've already taken place. It's just that sometimes you and I are slow to catch on to all of this wonderful, amazing, beautiful change in us, in our world. And Paul knows it. So he paints a picture of what is now possible for us precisely because of what Christ has already accomplished for us. Who can we be? We can be people who live lives of good work and knowledge and strength and joy. God isn't pleased when we decide that we're going to have to figure out how to live that way through our own effort alone because we're afraid of what might happen if we fail to live that way. That's, that's not the motivation that Paul's trying to give us at all. He's trying to say, these are your gifts for the taking. Why aren't you embracing them? Why aren't you receiving them? Why aren't you partnering with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to become who you want to be? In your best, truest self, who you want to be. God isn't calling us to earn our way into being worthy. He's calling us to embrace this priceless worth that he's already given us. We just have to open our arms, open our lives, open open our future to, to embrace it, to experience it, to become it. It's God's work, and it's our trust, and together, there's a whole new world that's made possible, and that, brothers and sisters, that's the gospel, and it is very, very good news. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be out in our lobby, kind of scattered throughout. Those couples are there to receive you, to pray with you, uh, to talk with you. And so if you came this morning and you have anything on your heart that you'd be blessed to talk with a shepherding couple about, to pray about it, please go to them. If you came this morning with Thanksgiving on your heart and you want to share it with us, with with this church family, go to them. Whatever it is, please go to them as together we stand and sing.